0: When someone rebels against God's Word, when they're walking in darkness, that shouldn't please us. That should break our hearts. It should crush our hearts. It should go back to the very first part of the verse in verse 7. The end of all things is near. It should give us a great urgency to plead with men and women and students and children, be reconciled to God because no one has promised the next breath.
1: Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch.
0: Father, we come before you today and we We don't take this lightly. Uh, Your Word is truth. In a culture that uh, rebels, in a culture that's looking for something to gratify the flesh, God, today we simply know this, that uh, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be satisfied ultimately in Your presence. Amen. But Lord, I know we can have satisfaction in the here and now as well as we mind the Scriptures. As we dig deep into the Word. As we write it on the tablet of our hearts, Lord. We we just pray that You would move and stir in this place today. So God, I pray that You would just cast away every distraction Uh, What's going on for lunch or the ball game or uh, Monday morning blues or whatever's on our radar today, God? I just pray right now that we will dial in, that we will focus and simply ask You, God, God, what do You want to speak into my life today? What do You want to teach me today from Your truth, from Your Word? And then God, help us to be self-feeders throughout the week that will mine and dig into those scriptures that will be rejuvenated and nourished and ultimately prayerfully become more like Jesus. And so God, you do the work now. Move me out of the way. I pray all that we see and hear is you. And we pray this in Jesus name and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. I take that Bible and turn to 1st Peter. 1st Peter chapter 4 Uh, Verses seven through eight today, as we continue our journey through this great book, this epistle here. 1 Peter chapter 4, seven through eight. And as you're turning there, the, the title of the message today is simply this Serious Faith. Serious Faith. When you think about your faith, as I've been thinking about my faith as we're launching into 22, and we talked about this last week, that we don't need more resolutions, we need more commitments and the challenge so often in america is we have this comfortable lifestyle uh, things seem to be going well and often what happens it's really easy to autopilot our faith that we don't take it seriously we have so many things that jockey for our time and our attention and then when you look at God's Word, you see very clearly through God's Word that, that He demands for the true follower, and that's where this thing gets a little dicey, for the true follower of Jesus, not just the professed follower, but the true follower of Christ that we take this seriously. And I was thinking through that thought over the last couple weeks, and you know, the, the question you know, isn't what I will do with Jesus. The real question is, what will Jesus do with me, Right? I mean, that really should be the aim of all of us here in 22, that not what we can do with Jesus, but but what, oh Jesus, do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with me and my life and and my family and and all that I do and going about throughout my day? God, what do you want to do? You know, so often we try to dictate uh, Jesus kind of around our schedules, and I believe very clearly through God's Word that, that Jesus wants to become our schedules. So as we marinate on those truths, as we think about that, I want you to have a Bible open, I pray. I pray your heart will be opened, because with this final intro thought, what will you and I do with the rest of our lives? I don't know if you know this, but every person in the room right now is dying. Every person's dying. We're getting one step closer, aren't we? And the question is, what will we do with the rest of our lives, starting today? Will we be an individual? Will you be a husband? Will you be a wife? Will you be a person who serves in the church? Will you be a business owner or an employee? Will you be someone that says, you know what, I don't want to live comfortably spiritually anymore. I don't want to settle for casual Christianity I want to avoid that at any and all cost because I want to live a life with purpose. I want to live a life that makes a difference. I want to live a life where, where as I hang the cleats up at the end of each day, that we can all look at those dirty cleats and go, man, that, it, it wasn't very pretty. But I can check off faithfulness and obedience. That's where life becomes fulfilling. That's where the contentment and the joy comes in that so many people are chasing after. They're, they're, they're chasing, you know, if I, if I just get there and if I just get this and if I move here and drive to this and marry this person and go on this vacation, that, that somehow the pain will be dulled. But, but here's the reality that once you get those things apart from Jesus Christ, you always come up with nothing. Well, I believe Peter addresses that whole overarching thought when he pens these words by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says this in verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. Hmm, doesn't sound very good. Therefore, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Hmm, where does he get in that here? Verse 8, final verse, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Very intriguing verses. We learned last week, if you were here, that you remember that, you know, there's those out there that are walking in darkness and there's those that are walking in light and the ones that are in darkness want to pull the ones in the light into the darkness And when the ones in the light don't go along with the ones in the darkness, often there can be persecution and pushback. And we see that very clearly in verses three through six. And yet, what do we do as true believers, as followers of Jesus? We love people well, but we don't bend, we don't buckle, we don't break. Why? Because we know this it's the truth that will set people free. We live in a day that, as Paul implored Timothy, he said, Look, there's going to come a time. There's going to come a time when when people have itching ears, and and they want to heap up teachers for themselves to to hear something that's palatable, that's digestible, that's not offensive. But we know this, that, that my flesh, that your flesh, I don't know about you, but my flesh gets offended by Scripture. When I read Scripture, there's many times that That I'm offended but it's a healthy offense if you will it's a healthy conviction because when you walk in light you actually crave that you you want to grow closer to Jesus you want all the rough edges and the refining to happen you actually want that Peter's saying look to that believer then and to us today he's like I know things are hard I know they're difficult but he says here the end of all things is near what's he getting at here is this the end of the world? Is this the end of their lives? But what's he talking about here? You think, just think about this for a moment. Just pause and, and ponder this. He says, look, the end of all things is near. Well, in that culture and in that day, those folks, and it's a glorious thing, they were expecting Jesus to return in their lifetime. And by the way, that's a hallelujah shouting time moment, isn't it? That Jesus returns... But the reality is this, even though he has not returned yet, we know this that his return, we could say, is imminent. Now, we don't know when he's going to return. The Bible says this that no one knows the day nor the hour, not even the Son. Only the Father knows that when he's like, you know what, I've just had enough, a game over, my patience has run out. The passive judgment that I'm in right now is no longer going to happen. I'm going to literally, the wrath that has been pent up for all of these days, all of these years, all of this time, is now going to be unleashed with the fury. And that should motivate me and you. That should motivate us that, that look, we have a mission. You have a personal mission. If you were a true Christ follower, you have a mission. And the question again goes back to, what will you and I do with the rest of our lives? Will we live for self? Will we live in fear? Well, fear is everywhere today, isn't it? Fear, 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 fear. Or will we live for Jesus and just say, Jesus, I'm all in for you. I want to make a difference. The end of all things is near. Therefore, do something. I love this. It would have been interesting. He goes, hey, guys, uh, the end is near. Um, adios. Good luck see ya have a good one now what does he say he says be self-controlled and sober-minded for a reason for the sake of your prayers Now, this is very very key Don't, don't miss this if you're here today and you want to grow in your faith you want to become more like christ tune in very acutely here peter is saying look because Christ's return is imminent, there needs to be a sense of urgency. You know what I found out is interesting about my own life is this, that when there are consequences, it's amazing how consequences are great motivators, amen? You have a child in your house, and you say, go clean your room, and they say, I would rather not... Which, by the way, kids, not a good answer. Just in case you're wondering, I wouldn't try that at home. And then dad-mom says, if you don't do this, there are these consequences. And it's amazing how quickly the room is sparkling clean. Amen? It's just amazing how that works. See, the challenge in our life today in America is there's right now, we don't think there's consequences, but there are. Each and every day that we get out from under the Word, each and every day that we hang out with those who really aren't in the Word, and they're luring us, and it's always slow. It's just a, it's a very systematic, slow fade, as the song says. Just, just very slow. Pati- uh, Satan is way more patient than you and I will ever be. He will wait a lifetime to get me and you to make a stupid spiritual decision. That's why we must be Self-controlled. Now, here's the key. The key is this, that in order to be self-controlled, this doesn't make any sense, but bear with me, in order to be self-controlled, you have to let go of control. Let me say that again. In order to be self-controlled, you have to actually let go of control. Now, by a show of hands, be honest, you're in church, don't lie, who loves to give up control in their lives? It's hard, isn't it? I know it is for me. We love to be in control, right? We want to dictate the outcome. But when you comb the pages of Scripture, you see very clearly that the crucified life is a life that gives their life away. In order to have self-control, you must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. As a matter of fact, it's the very last one that we might have this self-control. What does it even mean? As you're taking your notes, maybe in the margin there, what is self-control? It means this, to be, have temperance, to have self-discipline, to be serious regarding your faith in this context, a serious faith, not a faith that just kind of, hey, we, we just toy around with it, but it's real, it's true. You could also argue this, Delayed gratification. Who likes delayed gratification? Anyone? That's hard, isn't it? I was in the grocery store last night. I I called Chris, and I'm on my way back from a a commitment, and I said, I'm hungry for some brownies. (laughs) Praise Jesus, amen? Anyone else agree with that? Don't you love brownies? Holy Spirit just hovers over the brownie pan, amen? So I got in there to the store, and I started, you know, hearing the Holy Spirit and the conscience, so I walked past the brownies and I turned around and saw two for seven Oreos. Praise the Lord, amen. The Lord gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of our God. Well, I skipped the Oreos by the power of the Holy Spirit. I did settle on, <laughs> I did settle on chocolate covered almonds and yoga covered raisins. I kind of argued that the almonds and the raisins would be semi healthy. The point is, and I'm sure you've been there, and that's kind of a silly, facetious example, but self-control. I mean, it's just easy, right? Especially when we're in pain, when we want to feed it, when we want to dull it, and when we're grappling for something. And yet, the Bible shows us to be under the control of the Holy Spirit, to have self-control, not just at the grocery store, but more importantly, in the decisions of life that impact especially my spiritual walk. I mean, you cannot have self control because it's just really easy to, you know what, I, I just don't, I really don't need to be around the believers today. It's raining, I'm tired. There's a self control, a discipline. Paul says this that I run the race. He, he's running a race. And don't misconstrue that word, speaking of food. He didn't say that he buffets his body, he said he buffets his body, right? It literally means this. He beats it into submission. Man, you're at work. You want to get a promotion. Then what do you do? Man, you run hard. Man, you're studying. You're doing well. You see how that works in that arena, and yet so many times in our spiritual walk, we don't have any self-control. Just kind of, eh, whatever. And then what happens here, and I see this happen often throughout my years of ministry, is that for the true believer, you've got to remember this, that God, what does He do? He chastens those He loves. And so what He will do For those that are really his, he will allow their world to begin to unravel. Why? Because he's trying to get our attention. Because we've drifted. Peter says, look, you're believers, writing to them and writing to us. And he says, I know you're struggling. I know there's persecution. He says, look, be self-controlled. Give your life to the Holy Spirit and allow him to work. Secondly, he says this, be what? Be sober-minded. This is ESV I'm reading from sober-minded be of sound mind be clear-minded be watchful so in other words you got the self-control it's this restraint that whatever your temptation is today in the spiritual realm especially that that you're getting pulled to you're being allured it's it's attractional it's almost like a gravitational pull and there's a restraint there saying no I'm going to flee that that's warring against my soul and I'm going to stay under the Word. I'm going to stay under truth. How do you do that? Well, you be of sound mind. The mind is the, the battlefield of the mind. It's the data center. It's where we make our decisions. If my mind is not being fed with the truth of God's Word, my mind will be fed with the foolishness and the nonsense and the darkness of the world. And if you're feeding something that makes your decisions... What do you want to feed it with? You want to feed it with truth. You want to feed it with, with, with aletheia. You want to feed it with fidelity. That when you get in those moments of despair, those moments of crisis, those relational issues, when the Monday morning blues hit, a motivational talk is not going to get you through. What's going to get you through is the truth of God's word you're going to be able to comb the pages of scripture and say wait a minute i, I remember this we studied this on sunday and i remember in first peter chapter four that they were going through hard times and difficulty and people were coming against them but but they simply just said you know what we're not going to bend we're not going to buckle we're not going to break but I, I see what god does or i see my obedience through that and the faithfulness that he gives me as i stay under his word this is what will carry you through life And yet we live in a world of entertainment and so many don't want the truth. But he says this phrase, don't miss this, this is so important. For the sake of your prayers. So think through this for a moment. Self-control, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Sober-minded, clear thinking, under the Word of God. What's going to happen to my prayers and your prayers if we're taking in a steady diet of the world? Just think about this for a moment. Prayer is not, again, just some lifeline that, hey, you know, I'm in a jam, bail me out again. It's not a Christmas list the point of prayer is this, that I would learn so much about who God is. And that's the whole point of Scripture, right? We look at Scripture and we go, who's God in this? Who's God in this? What does God speak to my heart through this? Who does He reveal who He is, His nature, His characteristics?" Because the more that I pursue God, and the more that He's in me, if you will, as I give my life to Him through ongoing change of sanctification, it's all about the outflow, isn't it? There's outflow, and then there's what we call inflow. There's outgoing, and there's ingoing. And what's going in will always be the driver of what goes out in my life. If I'm taking in God's word, if I'm feasting, if I'm around the fellowship of believers, if you know every Sunday you got Wednesday nights, you got prayer meeting on Monday nights, and and you get here not out of legalism, not out of checking off boxes, but out of just dire necessity. God, man, I, I gotta be here. I want to become more like Jesus. If my thinking is stinking, typically so will be my prayers. The point of prayer is to conform me to God's will, not to somehow convince God to conform to my will. That's the point of prayer. That I would be so desperate for Him and so in love with Him and just desiring Him in all that I say and do. That's why key number one is this. Write this down in your notes. Key number one. The only way that I can be self-controlled and sober-minded is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. Key number one, write it down in your notes. The only way that I can be self-controlled and sober-minded is to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. think about this question are there any areas in my life or your life that need to be surrendered to God through obedience kind of like a parent again that illustration Uh, we might say to our children to delay is to disobey uh, when they disobey, when they don't follow through on something you ask them to do, uh, there are those consequences. And as you think through that, in this being under the control, uh, sometimes you will see it in scripture like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit means to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you get there? Well, you give your life to Jesus. It's not overly complicated, but where this thing gets really just kind of wonky is, you know, when, when all we do is just we externally make a profession, but nothing really changes on the inside, it's going to be really, really difficult to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I was thinking of some thoughts that paralleled that, and I couldn't help but think of Ephesians chapter 4. Write this down, Ephesians four seventeen through 24. Ephesians 4, 17-24 says it like this, and Paul writes here to this church in Ephesus. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Worldly people is what he's referencing. In the futility of their what church? Minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Don't miss this. They are what? Alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. And here's the real reason. Due, what church? To their hardness of heart. There it is right there. Ever met a child that's had a stiff neck, a hard heart? Just rebellious? Take that on spiritual steroids. Due to the hardness of their heart. 19, they have become callous. Are you getting the visual? They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. What happens? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and do what? And this is corrupt through deceitful desires. Where you get in the picture here of the darkness? But what? To be renewed in the spirit of your church minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and, and there's that word, say it with me, church, holiness. Sounds overly exciting, doesn't it? Here's the deal, church. It's not exciting to the flesh, but it's life-giving life giving to your soul and every person that lives has a decision to make will i hunger for righteousness will i thirst for it or will i say no will i say no will i reject it and it's amazing when you get around a group of people even a small group of people that but they just gather and they just open the Word and there's no fanfare and no smoke machines and it's just kind of, man, let's just open the Word and and let's get changed together. It is such a beautiful testimony of the power of the Holy Spirit and how He works in our hearts as we submit to Him and surrender everything to Him. But wait, there's more. Sounds like an infomercial, doesn't it? One more thing. Here it is. Look at verse 8. Here's what Peter writes. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So I'm going to read both these verses together. So listen closely. Verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. So urgency, warning, warning. Be on our game. Get serious about your faith. Be, do something self-controlled, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Be sober-minded, clear-thinking. That way our prayers will be in line with God and not in line with the flesh. Above all, verse 8, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. If someone came up to you today and they came up to you and said, hey, above all, I want you to do this. Maybe your boss at work. Hey, look, here's the deal. You've got all these things you've got to accomplish. These are the goals for 22. But above all, I want you to do this. What would you, as that employee, take away from that above all command? Well, most of us would go, that's pretty important. The other stuff is good and important, but I'm hearing you clearly, boss, that you want me, you desire for me to focus above everything else on this one thing, and that's exactly what Peter is saying by the Holy Spirit. You got to remember this. This is very interesting. If you go to Galatians 5:22, don't turn there. It's not in your notes. Just write it down. Galatians 5:22, you're going to have the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And I want you to take a wild guess what number 1 is on that list. Anyone know? Love. What's the last one? Self-control. Man, do you see the bookends here? This is amazing how Scripture works. I get amazed by the richness and the beauty of the gospel, because it starts with what matters most: it's love. This is not just a happy sappy love that our world calls it. Going back again to the parent illustration, if you have a child that's being disobedient, you have a child that's running out into the freeway and the interstate. What do you do? Hey, have a good time. Hope it all works out for you. No, what do you do? And you're, you're going Baptist as you're trying to get their attention to not run out on the interstate, right? When I mean, you could go, Oh, I'm sorry, Timmy. I'm sorry, Susie. No, you're just like, Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. So many people are getting hurt spiritually. They're literally running out into the inner state of life. Their mind is not sober. There isn't any self-control. They're looking for a message that's happy and sappy and flappy. And the reality is this, their soul is just moving very, very slowly. They don't even know it. It's moving very, very slowly into the darkness. It's moving. I hear Peter's saying, look, above all love, And a lot of times love is hard and it's tough. But we do it out of a spirit of the agape love that Jesus gave to us. And aren't you so glad that He loved me and loved you in spite of me and in spite of you? And I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I don't have to earn His favor. I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit finally in my life on that day illuminated the truth. Got in my heart and illuminated the truth. I could see clearly I was no longer blind. My ears got unclogged. I'm not perfect. I still struggle. But praise be to God for setting me free. And you take that love and you love well. Well, how do you love well? Well, right there it is. It says this very interesting word in the original. So it says this, keep loving. So if I look at you and I say, keep doing something What can you assume about the something and that you were doing? You can assume this. You were already doing it to some degree if I tell you to keep doing it. So the good news is these believers were doing this to some degree, but he implores them. He just kind of comes alongside. He infuses courage into them. That's what encouragement is. It's coming alongside and infusing courage into someone. And he says, keep loving. But then he uses this one word. In the ESV, it says this, earnestly. Now this is very important. Don't miss this. When Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, under the control of the Holy Spirit, uses this word, and he says, look, I want you to love people earnestly. Question for me and you, is it easy to love people? Not a trick question. And the answer is, sometimes, amen. (laughs) Man, when they're, you know, singing your praises and, you know, writing your fan mail, you know, it's pretty easy, right? But when they're doing just the opposite, it can be hard, right? It can be hard to love. You're thinking about that person right now at work, in that cubicle, wherever they might be, in that office setting, that they just drive you crazy. I mean, you're praying like imprecatory prayers of lightning bolts to hit that cubicle, amen? I mean, you're just like, get me out of here or get them out of here, but do it now because there's so much contention and strife there. It's hard to love them, Here in these believers, this group, Peter implores them to love one another earnestly. Here's the visual he's painting. So get this in our heads. He's painting two imageries here by this one Greek word. And you could say it like this. Picture a runner. Anyone like to run? Yeah, I like driving. Praise Jesus, amen? I mean, I think driving is the better way to go than running. It pictures a runner who is straining. Like, they are running full tilt. They are all out. Their muscles are tight and taunt, and they are running this race. But it also gives an imagery for you horse lovers of a horse at full gallop. Are you getting the imagery here? I mean, that's interesting. The Holy Spirit, speaking through Peter, wants us to love others with a dire tenacity. And it's hard some days but that's what we're commanded to do we're to be self-controlled under the control of the holy spirit we're to be sober-minded clear thinking under the word of god we're to above all love people when someone rebels against god's word when they're walking in darkness that shouldn't please us that should break our hearts It should crush our hearts. It should go back to the very first part of the verse in verse 7. The end of all things is near. It should give us a great urgency to plead with men and women and students and children. Be reconciled to God because no one has promised the next breath. And what will you and I do for the rest of our lives? That's why key number two in your notes is this. Biblical love is loving others through the lens of Christ, regardless of how it impacts you and them. Write this down, key number two. Biblical love is loving others through the lens of Christ, very important, regardless of how it impacts me, you, and them. I find it interesting as you go back in verse 8, the very tail end, it says this, and I'll read it in context. Above all, keep loving. Continue this. One another earnestly, strenuously, intense, and just a focus, since love covers a multitude... Of sins. There is some debate on this by the smart theologians of the world, and where I land on this is when you look at Proverbs 10-12. It's not on, your, not on the screen, but it's a thought here. Write it down, Proverbs 10-12. It says this, "'Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses.'" You know what's so interesting is that when people come against you, come against me because of the gospel, and that's part of the, the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you when people persecute you and revile you for my name's sake. Blessed are you, for great is your reward. Rejoice! Great is your reward. When they do those things, we know this that we can just forgive that we can release. Because even from childhood, when we're, when we're harmed, when we're pained, through whatever might happen through our lives, and so many people are suffering greatly, the reality is this, if we're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can hang on to offenses, and the offenses begin to dominate us. If we try to manage offenses against us, the offenses against us will begin to manage us. And here, right in this word, it says here, love everyone, above all things, not just happy sappy, but yes, you got to sometimes speak a word of truth into their lives. Because why? They're going into the inner state of life spiritually, and they're going to get run over. And yet, don't hold on to those offenses. It'll crush you. It will bury you. Now you release it to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He's like, I'll take care of that. You just keep being faithful and obedient. God's like, I'll take care of this. That's why I was thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says this 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Powerful, powerful text when it says this. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Did you catch this? The first part of this is so good. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, beholding the glory of God. I don't know about you, but that is just a driver in my life. I pray that everything I do and say would give glory to God. And yet, if you look down to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, one chapter over, listen to these words that Paul implores, that church in Corinth that had so many issues, so much struggle, so much strife. He says this, therefore, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 4, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts, but we have renounced... Disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our Gospel is veiled. Hmm. It is veiled. Here it is. Here's the reality. It's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their church minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves. But Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, here it is, here's the encouragement. But we have this treasure, we have this gospel in jars of clay, me and you, broken, cracked up pots is all we are. Why? Here it is. Here's the why. Why does God put the gospel and the Word in you and I who are broken to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us? We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. (gasps) Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Why? So that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And all God's believers shouted, Wow. Doesn't that just refresh your soul? In the moments of where you're just like, Lord, what are you up to? We have a tenacity and a passion that cannot be shaken. Why? Because it's not grounded in the flesh. It's grounded in Christ, who's our hope and our treasure. And Paul said it like this in Philippians chapter 4. Here it is. Here's the summation of this. Philippians 4, 12 through 14. Here it is. In this quest to be self-controlled, in this quest to be sober-minded, in this quest to love others, especially the people that are unlovable, here's what he says. Philippians 4, 3, excuse me, 12 through 14. He says these words. Not that I've already attained. Haven't obtained this. I'm a work in progress, is what he's saying. Or that I've what? Been made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Why? Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Can you say that today, church, truthfully? Can you say today, look, Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider... And I've made it my own. But one thing I do. Here it is. He sharpens the pencil. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus and all God's people shouted. Wow, isn't that good? Did you catch this? So here you are today. You're living this life. You're breathing. you got blood in your veins. you got breath in your lungs. And you're dealing with family issues. You're dealing with work issues. Financial challenges. Garage door won't shut. Whatever it might be on your horizon, you're dealing with it. I want you to think for a moment what Paul was dealing with persecuted, abandoned, lied about, slandered, and he just stayed dialed in. Why? Because right there's the answer. And it's an encouragement for me and you in 22 that that we don't look at Jesus and go, Jesus, what can I do with you? We look at Jesus and say, Jesus, what do you want to do with me? And how do you get there? But one thing, here it is. One thing I do, brothers, Forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead. You know, I've learned this in my own life that so often we are hanging on to the past that we actually block God from doing something amazing in the present and in the future. And I pray for me and you and 22 that we'll just be under the control of the Holy Spirit. I pray we'll be under the control of the Word and sober-minded. And I pray above all, we will love and love well this community that needs Jesus. Amen. Father, we come before You. And Lord, we lift up our hearts. We lift up our minds. And we lift up our souls. Lord, I pray, would You just speak in this time Maybe there's one here today that by the power of the Holy Spirit has realized they've never given their life to Jesus. It's not real. It's not true. Lord, I pray, would you speak to that heart today? Don't allow any of us to leave here today unless we know for certain that our lives are no longer our own. Lord, whatever you want us to do in this time, Lord, I pray you'll find us faithful, find us obedient, find us pursuing holiness and righteousness. Lord, forgive us that we so often clamor about the things that in the scope of eternity don't matter. And Lord, we confess that often we we don't clamor about the things that will matter for all eternity. Oh Lord, do a work in this place today. I pray this place would be an obedient house of the Lord today as we no longer surrender some. But I pray today, from this day forward, we surrender all. God, to you be the praise, you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.